market dynamics are always going to be market dynamics, regardless of whether there's a new thing happening or it's never changed in a million years. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best Amazon stock management tool. How much has going out of stock cost you over the lifetime of your business? And what is it going to cost you this Q4? Eva predicts precisely what stock you need. It learns from your account and it improves constantly. Eva serves hundreds of private label seven-figure sellers. To get a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. Trends, influence buyer behavior, and smart e-commerce sellers identify them quickly, adapt and change in keeping with them and profit from them. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about trends of all kinds and how to profit from them or equally important, at least how to avoid being hurt by them. Jason, you ready to discuss this interesting topic? Yeah, I love this one, man. This is a great topic. So vital to all of our success is really understanding what the times are telling us and what's going on in terms of consumer sentiment and behavior. So much to talk about with this podcast. So yeah, let's jump into it, man. Yeah, it's a this big is- area. So let's start with the, the very biggest one, which I think is, it can be so vague as to be meaningless. And yet if you handle it the right way, I think also something to keep in the background. So on the, the sort of big picture strategy, before I plunge any further, I should acknowledge also one of the reasons I'm thinking about this is one of my recent guests called Ken Burke, who runs a company, an education company for entrepreneurs called Entrepreneur Now. He created Market Live in the mid nineties and sold it for 10 figures in 2016. So a really serious player in the e-commerce space. And uh, yeah, so he's a very good person to reference if you want to deep dive into other business planning tactics. First thing to talk about is mega trends, which I think is very interesting. It can be very general barroom conversation, or it can be a profound strategic insight, depending on how you look at it. So obviously one of the trends in the big economy is inflation. And then the other big trend that strikes me is e-commerce adoption, which keeps going up year on year, generally speaking. Yeah. Those are the ones that strike me as the obvious ones. What do you think about? Is it even worth looking at the mega trends? Do you think it's just too general? What do you? No, I don't think it's too general at all. I think you have to do it or else you're in big trouble. For example, when COVID hit, there were people, and I put myself in this camp, who immediately figured out a strategy or tactic to, in essence, market to your audience in an appropriate way in light of COVID. And I wouldn't say take advantage of COVID, but I would say present offers in light of COVID. Because when COVID hit, if you didn't reference it as a a touchstone, you seemed completely out of your mind. If you just did business as usual, it didn't make any sense. So you had to weave in COVID. So for example, with our charity, We did something called the isolation challenge, which was I-S-E-W-lation challenge. So for seamstresses, and it was a play on words for isolation, but it was also a relevant thing. And it just allowed us to embrace a mega trend and adapt it for our use. And I think every marketer is well served by doing this. People aren't talking right now about how inflation is impacting their customers. They 
They need to think through how to do that and on down the line. There are big mega trends that you have to weave in. Yeah, I think that's a huge one to start with and super important to understand. And a, a few others that we could mention, the whole world going from retail to line buying had been a trend for 15, 20 years. Now I think it's a pendulum swing a little bit where now there's more integration where people are trying to refigure out retail, physical retail and integrate it. And so I think that's an emerging trend. I think using AI and bots is a massive emerging mega trend that's impacting many things on online marketing. And there's other big mega trends too. The whole push towards environmentalism as sort of uh, table stakes. You have to present yourself in such a way that you're sustainable or in the farming niche yeah. that I, I follow, they use the phrase regenerative. They love that new phrase. That's the new trendy phrase, regenerative farming. So these trends are massively important, all that to say. I like that. And I like the word use table stakes. In other words, this is not a thing you're going to have necessarily to have an advantage over everyone else. It's just like a basic that without that, you are putting yourself at a disadvantage. And I guess you've implied already some of the uses and the practical way of spotting trends. What does that change about your behavior? Communication is one. And we're going to talk in a bit more detail about how we use the insights once we've had them. But you're right. Table stakes, very well put. I've had so many clients who say, I want to do X, Y, Z as a sustainable or green regenerative is a new word for me, but that sounds like old wine and new bottles to me. But and I, I would say, look, great. That's not an advantage. That's, as you say, table stakes, that's pay to play. That's a really good insight that sometimes we feel clever because we spotted a trend and actually it's just got to be basic before you get and move on. So another thing that's really important, particularly in the, because I'm naturally, we come at things from the Amazon seller perspective in my case and the direct to consumer site owner, AKA. Shopify in your case, of course. I've seen quite a few things that people think of as trends that I think of as nasty fads. <laughs> Fidget spinners are the most famous example of that. So what would you say is the way to tell the difference? Because I think that's really critical because getting on the back of a fad that, that disappears can be really nasty for your business, can't it? So how do you deal with that differentiation? Yeah, I think it's really important to think through. It can be difficult at first to understand what is a popular that's going to be a fad versus popular that's a new trend. Clearly, they both start with the same social energy and enthusiasm and people talking it up, whatever it is, fidget spinners or whatever. And then, the, but the question is like, for the long term, is there sustainability in that message to use the cliche phrase? Is it a regenerative idea? So, and so how do you determine that? I think part of thinking through this is just to foretell or think through what are the implications of everyone being on the bandwagon. Is there one thing which would be positive, which would be network effects? When the Alexander Graham Bell introduced the telephone, was that a tri trend, mega trend, or was it a, a fad? Resultant effect of more people adopting was a, po a social positive versus the resultant effect of everyone producing and selling fidget spinners was a devaluation of is basically a oversaturation of a market idea. So I think you want the first thing to ask is what was the implication of if my neighbor had this, would it be good or bad for me? Everyone had this, if everyone did it, common adoption. And, and if the answer is, yeah, it's helpful. That's great. It's terrific. Then I think you, you probably spotted something that's going to be a, an ongoing trend and not a fad. And so that's how I look at it. I don't know if that helped at all or not, or what your point of view on it is. Yeah, I think that sounds very sensible uh, that the 
positive and negative implications are very interesting insight. I hadn't thought of that. And of course, things can go in more than one direction. So that the, we, we tend to think, especially in America, because you, America's had such a sunny kind of economic history every single decade that America's entered, it's exited with a bigger economy. That is not normal for the rest of the planet. And so I think mm -hmm. that can give an overly optimistic view of life. Of course, fax machines will be the classic example where the network effect kicked in and it's now gone in reverse. I believe, I can't remember if it's in the UK or US, there's some obligation upon, the, I think it's in the UK, there's an obligation on the phone network to fund and keep fax machines going. And they're about to get rid of that because it's become absurd because nobody, but nobody uses fax. And you could be on the downside of a trend as well. And I suppose that's even with a network well, effect. I would differentiate that example to say that digital communications was the mega trend. The carrier was the fax machine. But that's like saying communication was a fad and pigeons were, when pigeons went out of vogue, that was, it was over. But the pigeons weren't the megatrend. The pigeons were the carrier. And same thing for the fax machine. And he, but that was a real slow death. You got to be honest. We've been in internet age with PDF document sending for literally 25 years. And those fax machines are still sticking around somehow. It's like, how in the world are those things still alive? So anyway, the mega trend, the mega trend is digital documents, digital signings. And really, I would say it was COVID that pushed everybody over the edge where like we bought a house and sold a house during the time of COVID in essence. And it was ridiculous before that to have to go to a title company and sign a stack of, you know, 300 pieces of paper when we could have done it digitally. No one would let you until COVID hit. And then we're like, oh, I guess we could do this all digitally. So yeah, it's interesting anyway. to me. I, I hear things like that from Americans quite often. I feel like the weird thing is America is so innovative and created the internet pretty much single-handedly as a country on the back of ARPANET and, and most of the big companies are American. And yet the infrastructure of American civil life seems to be very sort of 10, 20 Riddle. years behind Europe. I'm like, when my American friends come to London, they use touch cards. What do you call it? Yeah. You just beep into this, the tube with your car. They were mm -hmm. kind of like, wow, what is this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this has been normal here. So it's interesting, as you say, that there's pushes towards digitization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but never mind trends like that. The most important thing, as you say, is the mega trend is digital communications and the pigeon was just a carrier and so was a fax machine. That's a really brilliant differentiation. I like that a lot. And I think another way to look at a trend for me related to what you're saying there is the idea of mega trends, underlying trends that are very powerful and very long term is to think yeah. about two things for me to see if they're real. One is to look at some numbers. As you said, there's an energy around conversation, which I think can be very fluffy. If there's numbers behind it that mm -hmm. show like some industry numbers or growth, year-on-year ended annual growth rates, the CAGA or whatever you call it, can be really good, a little bit more solid. And then the other thing is to think in terms of the sort of fundamentals, not so much to be a chartist as a fundamentalist, if you like, in terms of stock market mm -hmm. investing. So in other words, yeah, there's a trend, but what's behind it? Okay, digital communication is more convenient. It is simply harder to persuade people now to turn up in an in-person meeting than on Zoom because Zoom's so flipping convenient and it doesn't involve any travel. And so there's a very powerful dynamic that's understandable and clear, and there's a logic as well. So I think if you can see those things for me, it starts to feel more like a solid trend. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's the right way to look at it. And Kager, for those who aren't, don't know, or compound annual growth rate, right? So you mm. do want to look at the data and ask the question, is this just something I'm sucked into? Some rabbit hole of internet marketing that I'm thinking is a big deal, but it's really just some little corner of the internet, but it's, they have their hooks into me. Now I'm getting in the slipstream of whatever fad people are pushing, or is this a mega trend? And you kind of have to look at it, especially if you're using it for business and sales and marketing purposes. Yeah.
Okay. So those are mega trends. All right. So let's keep going. And then there's fads versus trends. We've talked a little bit. Yeah, about we've that. dealt with that. I think another thing you yeah. just implied, which I could jump on the back of that, which is the next topic really for me is com- competitive trends. So that's very, okay. yeah. it's very, what's the word? Daily experience for e-commerce sellers, again, particularly in the Amazon space, I think it's just intensified, but it's the same for everyone, which is that if you see the competition changing suddenly when you've spotted a trend, you're not the only person. And as you say, in many cases, there is a feeling of devaluation of individual product lines so the price point tends to go down. On the other hand, though, and this I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, I think sometimes people are a bit too scared of competition because that does imply a couple of things. First of all, people know what a fidget spinner, I'm not suggesting anyone buys them, by the way, but they know what a fidget spinner is. So you don't have to explain it and what the virtues of it are, how it works. So at least people come along knowing that it tends to create quite a strong demand because people have heard about it. There's a sort of network effect amongst consumers. And then, of course, it, it validates the fact that there is a market there. Like competition is not always just bad, but nevertheless, it's always thought provoking. So what's your thought about dealing with when you see a trend of competition coming up? I think the question, the bigger question or the question around this is how does trends merge into markets? And the market dynamics are always going to be market dynamics, regardless of whether there's a new thing happening or it's never changed in a million years or whatever, or it's a brand new market dynamics are still going to be there. And by market dynamics, what I mean is some markets are winner take all markets. Some markets are built to be monopolies and it's a first mover advantage. Some markets are duopolies by nature where there's two big competitors that end up dominating. Other markets are fractured and will always be fractured where it's a million little providers and no one really can roll it all up and be the dominant player for structural reasons. So you have to understand the market you're operating in, obviously, to understand how the mega trend would impact it. So let's assume that you're a veteran in your market and the lay of the land. Then the question is, how do you look at megatrends? And then also, how do you look at trends in your market itself? Because to your point, there are a lot of niche level trends or market level trends that I think are very interesting. You mentioned more competitors joining the market. I would turn the other side of the coin over and say, what about competitors, for example, who are in their late sixties or seventies, who have built good businesses, maybe multi-million dollar businesses, and they're leaving, they're retiring, they're turning over the keys to people who are less qualified. Maybe they're going to sell their business that you see as a competitor to people who have no clue what they're going to be doing. I don't look at it as necessarily negative. I think in the, at the trend level, there are ways to win. And understanding the lane and how megatrends impact it is really important. There is a massive baby boomer age out event happening in the U.S. right now. That's a mega trend. And so for business owners, it's really un- important to understand who your competitors are. I know one of our clients is acquiring multi-million dollar businesses from his direct competitors because they're all old. And he's just friend, friending them and playing his part, which is the younger upstart who's just trying to learn the business. And how are you? And could I come visit your office and learn from you? And yes, sure. And these guys are looking for exits. And here comes this super smart young marketer who knows how to do online marketing, marketing, and he's nice and he's in their industry. And they're starting to think to themselves, I'm going to sell my business to this guy. This guy's my parachute. 
So anyway, I think there's opportunities like that in the, at the niche level that very fascinating. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, as you say, the, these things, we've seen a long period where trends tend to go in one direction, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. And the competition has been increasingly so much since I've been working in the Amazon world in 2014. And yeah, as you say, that's not always the direction. And mm -hmm. as we've discussed before, um, important to say that I think there will be another big market share opportunity from the trend of recessions, which tends to clear out those who don't have enough cash reserves or don't have a strong mm -hmm. enough business or are unlucky, whatever the issue is, who may not be choosing to exit. Some of those, of course, may also be baby boomers who just decided to exit because they've had enough of the fight. Others will just not be able to keep going. And so you're right that the trend of competition may not be a one way at all. I've certainly yeah. seen that within the mastermind that, that somebody recently got, they literally got phoned by an old competitor who said, we're closing up shop. Do you want to buy some of the business? And yeah, I, that, yeah, yeah. that will be continuing, I think, over the next while. That would accelerate, if anything, I suspect. Mm -hmm. It's uh, quite, totally quite, was quite striking to me that it came so early in the game. So then the other thing, of course, uh, is the actual marketplace themselves. I've mentioned Amazon, you mentioned Shopify. Obviously, the dynamic between those, particularly in the pandemic, I think shifted quite a lot. Certainly Shopify's uh, stock price, if I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, sort of 10x during about a year. So that implied that certainly the financial markets thought that Shopify was suddenly arrived. And that can change a lot of things, can't it? So what's your experience of that as a guy who sort of sits on both sides of that? For a long time, I was a stock investor in Shopify and I prided myself in being an early investor in Shopify from like 2014 or 13 until a, a year and a half ago, two years ago. And when it hit its zenith, I thought to myself, this is just, I had watched it for so long. I thought to myself, the there's a top here that has to come off and Sure enough, I think its valuation is down by, it's astronomically down compared to where it was because everybody thought so late in the process that Shopify was an answer to the migration to online selling. People were so late to that party. It was like, there was just, it was the greater fool theory at the end, but I had been an investor for so long in Shopify because we've used it for so long that I could just see it, it was so weird. So anyway, as it relates to this price. That's one commentary. I don't own any of it now, but I might be interested in buying back in now that it's really fallen apart. But, yeah. but is it really by the way, not, neither of us is qualified stock market advisors, so don't go and no, invest. No, 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 <laughs> no, but it's an interesting um, point. And I, so the wider sort of trend idea, I guess that just to, on the back of that, actually, just quickly, the whole valuation of e-commerce companies based on a re very short time frame, i.e. trading 12 months, at the end of the pandemic, big 12 months struck me as what you just said is a subset of that. And what I saw with the aggregators buying Amazon based businesses was also an example of that. I thought it was not quite great to full theory, but it was obvious that it was an exceptional period in, in e-commerce that was unlikely unless we have another very similar set of circumstances to ever be repeated. And so I saw suddenly a bunch of aggregators coming on the podcast and my, my friends started selling businesses at kind of crazy multiples, considering it was only based on Amazon and thus has big concentration risk in my mind. And, and their client sold for five times EBITDA and then suddenly nothing. So again, I think sometimes having a short-term view of a trend can give you a very distorted yeah. perspective, can't it? Let's unpack that comment for those who are familiar with Amazon, a private label and third-party seller marketplace. So basically in the last couple of years, people realized you could aggregate or roll up smaller e-commerce sellers 
and really build a portfolio with venture-backed money or whatever, investor money, and stack the revenue. So you end up having $100 million of revenue or whatever because you bought 10, $10 million e-commerce sellers. The um, bloom came off the rose on that deal real quick, as I understand it, which is the aggregators, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you know better than I do, but what I've heard is many businesses were purchased from kitchen table entrepreneurs that had scaled up the million dollar to $10 million valuation businesses or whatever. Maybe they made a million dollars in revenue and they sold their business for one or 2 million or whatever. And those people knew the blood, sweat, and tears that went into making that business a reality. They knew how to operate. They were operators. And then they sold to aggregators. And what I've heard is the aggregators were not operators. The aggregators were financial engineers who thought they could roll these things up, just roll up laundry mats or whatever. And as it happens, it's hard to run <laughs> and it takes a lot yeah. of work. And so the aggregators have duly gone bust or imploded or whatever. All I can tell you is if I could buy their businesses from them for pennies on the dollar, and maybe these people, Michael, you could revisit those aggregators who have come on your podcast. True. And, yeah. And I know a lot of still them. Yeah. Get there to work at the company that they're a part of and say, hey, if you have some amazing e-commerce businesses that you run into the ground with it without saying yeah. and you are looking for buyers, let's talk. That's an interesting trend that happened. That's yeah. very interesting thought. Weirdly enough, I'm quite well placed for that. I need to go and get some cash together from other people. I don't know if I can afford to pay a million dollars right now for a business, but or even under well, You thousand. might be paying hundreds of dollars, not millions. Hundreds would be affordable. Yes. Absolutely. I think another thing to that point, um, yes, you're right. That's what I've strongly got the impression of having spoken privately and off air and on air with the aggregators and quite a few fr um, friends of mine who've sold to aggregators in the conversations mm -hmm. they've had as a business owners. Reading mm -hmm. between the lines, I think not only are you absolutely right that they didn't know how to run um, Amazon businesses and they completely underestimate the challenge, but I think there's the third one, which I spoke to an aggregator. He was a sort of head of the European operation for the aggregator I won't name because I'm about to say he said to me privately is not just acquiring and it's not just running it's integrating them into a bigger mm. system and of course if you earn a hundred brands to integrate them into your back-end systems of people who can write Amazon listings who can do keyword research you can deal with Amazon's massively variable customer service yeah that's an even bigger problem so, so they just, was a fad. it wasn't it was a fad it was a fad and it was actually the business model idea was flawed and that's a slightly different thing from a trend which i guess we're talking about but it, but there was a trend where how can i put this the business model was flawed from the beginning but people overlooked that because they saw other people raising a large amounts of money from yeah. people even as prestigious and seemingly responsible as goldman sachs in one case and then they felt they were missing yeah. out and then of course they stopped thinking so clearly about this is like the dark side of a trend right and when people stop thinking clearly about the logical but, process yeah i was just going to say the difference between that being a fad because aggregators are doing it and the client I was speaking about earlier, who's rolling up um, e-commerce operations in his specific niche. It's funny because both activities are very similar. In the one hand, they're just rolling up e-commerce operations because they're like, hey, this is all e-commerce. In his case, he's, hey, I'm in this specific niche. I know all of the manufacturers. I'm one of the top sellers for them. I know exactly who my competitors are and how their businesses make money. And I'm going to roll them into my operation. That to me is a roll up with extraordinary, incredible 
opportunity for success. And yes, there's still integration issues and operation issues, but the chances of survival and success in that regard are infinitely different than buying a bolt manufacturer in one e-commerce operation and a chainsaw in another and a sporting apparel company in another and all these random industries and niches and trying to figure out how to integrate them. Yeah, I think it's very interesting and timely. Uh, conversation, but let's keep going on our list here. We've got a few other trends to talk about, and then we're talk about. Yeah, but that's very interesting. That in a way, what you're saying just to differentiate again between a you were talking earlier about the mega trend of digital communication and differentiating between the pigeon and the fax machine and the, the carrier. And in this case, it sounds like the business concept is not necessarily over as a mega trend. In fact, it may accelerate it from what you've been saying, which makes sense to me. But the implementation of it is perhaps the difference, right? If that's what you're thinking, this is very interesting. Yeah. Hey, folks, I thank you for listening to another episode of The E-Commerce Leader. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. It's a lot of fun to think about trends. It's less of a sort of nitty-gritty subject, and it might seem, therefore, it's harder to justify. But I can promise you, as Jason said, really, ignoring trends can be not only a missed opportunity, but can really hurt your business, particularly, of course, if your competition is observing the trends and you're not. Or if the consumer behavior is changing very greatly, as we're seeing in late 2022, early 2023, and you're not responding to that. This is really important. First of all, mega trends. We talked about a great deal today. That's actually really important. The longer term trends that if you're taking advantage of could be over a 5, 10, even 20 year arc. That can really be the wind at the back of your business for a long time. Differentiating between fads and trends, really super important. And spotting sometimes the mega trends behind a fad that can be really helpful to differentiate that's one thing that we've really dug into today that i think is absolutely critical particularly in e-commerce seems to be prone to both mega trends and like e-commerce adoption itself versus fads and there's a lot of those as well try and avoid those on my own podcast over at the 10k collective but we get those sometimes and then the competitive trends within your market as well are is the competition increasing or are in fact some of the people either retiring from business and sending those businesses on, the baby boomers retiring in great numbers in the UK and USA and many other places in the world? Or are the competitors simply starting to go out of business as we're already seeing in the 10K Collective Mastermind here in London? And then finally, the online selling locations, which marketplaces you're selling in as well, and trying to differentiate between the short-term fads and excessive valuation of Shopify, for example, or the current obsession with TikTok versus what is actually a longer-term trend there. So I hope that was helpful to you. Obviously, as ever, don't forget to subscribe to the show. I've got a particular thing that I'd like to call your attention to today, though, that one of the reasons I've been thinking about this, I've been following a a course by a recent guest of mine on the 10 K Collective podcast for Amazon sellers, a guy called Ken Burke, who runs a thing called Entrepreneur Now. Ken was a a business software, I should say, a software company owner in the e-commerce space who founded it in the early mid 90s sold in 2016 for 10 figures. So a really serious entrepreneur, really nice guy, and very good at incorporating things like market trends into your overall business planning. His main focus is launching a new business, which I know for some listeners will be relevant, but also uh, it's just as relevant, I think, for existing business owners to take a refreshed, proper look at business planning. The bigger the business owners are more successful in the mastermind that I've seen, the more they intend to have a coach who will guide them through this kind of more strategic business planning process as well. So if you want to check that out, the best way to get to know Ken is through a free webinar, the 10 secrets to starting and growing a successful business. And you can get to that 
theecommerceleader.com forward slash 10 secrets. That's one zero secrets, theecommerceleader.com forward slash 10 secrets. It's free, gives you a chance to get to know Ken. And I think he's the best person I've ever come across for incorporating trends into proper business planning. So that's why I'm recommending Ken. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show as well. If you want to hear more guidance like this, hopefully more strategic level than just getting caught in the weeds of the latest fads, we hopefully can give you the bigger picture trends that will give you the wind at your back, as Jason put it, and help you to grow a fantastic and sustainable, robust business. Thanks so much for listening. Look forward to speaking to you in the next show. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app for free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products and sales channels. Just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.